Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. I want to share with you this evening a message entitled, When the Son Was Made Sin. When the Son Was Made Sin. Our first text is going to be 1 Corinthians in chapter 11 and verse 26. And this is from the Amplified Bible. If you need notes, just to raise your hand, we'll get you the notes. I don't promise to stick with them, but you'll never know. I'll do my best. Notice what the scripture says. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, and we're doing that tonight, are we not? You are representing and signifying and proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he come. Who told Paul to write that? Jesus did. So this is Jesus teaching Paul about Holy Communion. And he's telling them that it's symbolic of his body and of his blood. And every time we partake of it, we are proclaiming it. In actuality, celebrating the Lord's Supper is an act of faith. It's an act of faith that really calls upon each of us to think about the past, the present, and the future. When he said, you show forth his death, that's the past. And over 2,000 years ago, we know that he died upon Calvary's cross for us. But then, right now we're celebrating it to remind ourselves of how we should be living our lives based on his death, his burial, and resurrection. Does that not speak to all of our hearts? That if someone could love us so much and be willing to die as he did for us, that really he commands our allegiance to him and our obedience to him? And then talks about the future. Notice it says, till he comes. He promised to come again. Remember in Acts, when they were looking up and the angels were there and said to the disciples, we looking up, they saw Jesus ascending on high. Well, that's an easy question to answer. I've never seen anybody levitate before. And there he goes. But he said, the angels said, as you see him go, he will come again. You believe he's coming again? How many want it sooner than later? <laughs> He's coming again, and we thank God that he is. Tonight, we're going to talk about his death. And if you think about this week that we call the Passion Week, Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And while he's entering into Jerusalem, he is focused. I mean, his face is set like a flint to go to the cross. He's not going to be interrupted. He's not going to be distracted. Nothing is going to stop him from doing what he needs to do. And during that time, as he makes his triumphal entry, we've got the lambs that are entering in to be slaughtered for the Passover. And while those lambs are entering in, year after year, this happens year after year, the Lamb of God is also entering in on a donkey. The priests can't see it, they're just looking at these lambs. But you got the people lined up, and what are they doing? Hosanna, save us now, and throwing their cloaks on the ground, and shouting out, Hosanna, save us now, right? The same one shouted, crucify him at the end of the week. They were very expressive, 
that they were very shallow. Can you see that in their faith? So, Jesus, the Lamb of God, of course, is not going to be distracted by any of that. He's not puffed up by any of that. He's going to the cross. He's going to suffer and die. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. This is a powerful scripture. For he, meaning God the Father, hath made him, meaning God the Son, to be sin, to be what? God the Father made Jesus the Son to be what? For who? For us. Who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Charles Spurgeon, who is known to be prince of the preachers. Prince of preachers. He said, this scripture is the very heart of the gospel. Here you have the gospel message in one verse of scripture. It should be as popular as John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. One day, for all you athletes out there, it'd be nice to see not just John 3.16, but 2 Corinthians 5.21. Out there in the stands. You know how they hold up John 3.16 signs? 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because you see, together, God so loved the world so much that he made him, his son, to be sin for us who knew no sin so we could become the righteousness of God in Christ so that everyone could be saved and not lost eternally. That's why he sent him. Last night talking at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we kind of had a little bit of a... I came from a perspective of a sporting event. But we know this is more than a sporting event. But with athletes, you can really touch home when you present it that way. You go to the beginning and what do you see? Lucifer challenges God. Results? Lucifer loses. Consequences? Eternal lake of fire. Amen? Game over. Well, someone says, well, what's he doing then? You know, wreaking havoc with people's lives. He's out on bail. So what's he do when he's out on bail? He challenges the first Adam. Right? In the garden. Because now there's good and evil. Results? Adam loses. Romans 5.12, death passes upon all men. How many men? Everyone born in Adam is eternally lost. Consequences, lake of fire forever. Game over. Uh, not quite. Not quite. God has a substitute player. He's the head coach. It looks like it's over. It looks like eternally man is lost. But this substitute player has been waiting to get in the game. The first announcement that he had this ringer off to the sidelines was Genesis 3.15 when he said, I'm going to send the seed of the woman who's going to crush your head. So if we summarize all Old Testament history in one declaration, you know what it would be? It took 4,000 years to get the second or the last Adam qualified. You see, he wasn't qualified to come into the earth and play. So it took a lot. It took 4,000 years to get him 
to the place that he needed to be to do what he needed to do to redeem you and to redeem me. Okay, let's break the scripture apart and then we're going to see some more things about this. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. First thing we want to bring out, Jesus knew no sin. He had no sin. Go when he was in heaven. First stop is in heaven. Look at Isaiah 6 and verse 3. In heaven, he is the second person of deity. He created all the world and everything that's in it. And one cried, this is Isaiah, being lifted up and seeing God on the throne. One cried to another and said, how many holies? holies. Holy for God the Father, holy for God the Son, and holy for God the Spirit himself. Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So notice he's holy. And in 1 John 5, or chapter 2 and verse 5, chapter 1 verse 5, we're told that in him is, chapter 1 verse 5, there is no darkness at all. Look at that verse. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and in him is how much darkness? See, we can't even calculate that. We can't even understand that because when we're talking about absolutes, we don't understand absolutes. There is not a smidgen, not even an atom of darkness in God Almighty. So when Jesus, the second person of deity, is in heaven, he is without even a smidgen of darkness at all. So he wants to come into the game. Next, the incarnation. And we're going to see that he's still holy. Just because he took on flesh, it didn't mean he was with sin and he was unholy. The incarnation. Listen to the angel Gabriel make the announcement to Mary and listen to what he says in Luke 1, 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God is he still holy man he was on the sidelines but now he's in the game he comes in through an incarnation he is a hundred percent God and man the hypostatic unit of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ the God man is now in the game he's called the last Adam okay after that you're going to love this one Demons call him holy. It's pretty good when your opposition acknowledges you as they did him. Demons even called him holy. Look at the verse in Mark 1, 23, 24. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thee thou Jesus of Nazareth? This is the demon speaking. Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. I played on a football field. I played some basketball and all that. I never had my opposite, person on the opposite team commend me in any way. I had one kick me. I had one bite me. I had another one twist my ankle. I had one take out my knee. Come on, you've been there before if you're an athlete, right? The last thing they want to do is to pump you up. But this demon recognized that Jesus is holy and made a declaration of it. And then, of course, when he came in during the uh, Feast of the Passover time, those animals were being scrutinized, right? 
Because they had to be flawless. No spot, no blemish to qualify. Well, for Jesus to qualify, he couldn't have any sin. So what do we find? We find Pilate. I find him innocent. Pilate's wife, he's a just man. Herod, there's nothing I can accuse him of. Peter, John, I mean the list goes on and on of all the individuals. What about this one? Even Judas who came back with his money and said, he's innocent. What does that do? It qualifies him. Think about this. It qualifies him to die. A sacrificial death for you and me. And what about this one? Jesus himself. Look at this verse. Jesus himself in John 8, 46, I believe it is. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He said, okay, you think I've sinned? Convict me or convince me of any sin. What are we finding out here? He's holy. He's qualified. He's worthy to die for you and me. And lest we think he didn't endure temptation. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For you we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. It's pretty good wouldn't you say? See the last Adam did what the first Adam should have done. And if the first Adam would have done what the last Adam did, obedience is better than sacrifice. Jesus wouldn't have had to come to sacrifice his life because obedience would have been better than sacrifice. But the first Adam wasn't obedient. He was disobedient. Okay, the second part of the verse. The second part I want to bring out. For he hath made him to be sin for us. The first part talks about his character. The second part talks about his sacrifice. And so now Jesus is qualified to go to the cross where he's going to suffer and die for you and me. Now, historically scholars have used two particular phrases to describe this or to basically show what this means. And the first part of it is for us. Notice he died for us. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse 1, we're going to read eight verses. He died for us. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor cunningness. We shall see him. There is no beauty. We should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men. And he's despised, but we esteem him not. He's acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He's despised, but we esteem him not. Surely, everybody say surely. Now listen to this when it comes to us surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of the Roman lictor no of whom of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, 
And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. So here we see the first part of this. He did this for us. God put this on him for us. It wouldn't have mattered if it was a cross, an electric chair, or a gas chamber. The point is, God put on him the iniquity of us all. That means everything that Adam brought into this world that we call sin. Anyone who has ever sinned, who's ever lived, who's sinned and separate from God. God put on him all of it. It all fell on him on that cross as our substitute. And we call this the law of substitution. But secondly, he was made our penalty. And here's where I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of latitude. Because this, in my opinion, is so overlooked in the body of Christ. To me, it's, it's disheartening. And to me, I believe it takes away from what Jesus did for us. But if I just, first of all, say to you, what I'm about to share with you is believed by Billy Graham. How many of you know Billy Graham? You think he was a heretic? I don't. He was a faithful man of God, right? John Calvin. You've heard of him? Martin Luther. G. Campbell Morgan. Charles Spurgeon. Ironside. The list goes on and on. What I'm sharing with you right now, every one of these individuals believe the same way. So when I share it, don't view me as being a heretic. Just view me as being someone that has the same belief as a Billy Graham and these others, okay? Notice, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. What does it mean he was made sin? That he just died on the cross? Is sin physical? Is it because he was whipped? He was made sin with the Roman lictors, cat of nine tails that shredded his body? Is that what he means? Well, let's read it in Isaiah 53, verses 9 through 11, and let's see what it says. He made his grave with the honorable. And with the poor. Oh. Not the honorable. And not the poor. In his death. Hebrew. That should be deaths. Because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord or Jehovah to do what? To bruise him. He put him to grief. When thou shalt make his body You people are awake on a Friday night. <laughs> Made his what? Soul. Say it again. Soul. An offering for sin. He shall see a seed and shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his body. Soul. And shall be what? satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities 
Notice what Isaiah is prophesying. It wasn't just the body of our Lord. It was the soul of our Lord that was made an offering for sin. He shall see the travail of his what? The word travail is the birth throes. The birth pangs of his soul. Now remember, he made his grave with whom? The wicked and the rich. How many of you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Look at Luke 16 verse 23 what it says. And in hell, that word is Hades in the Greek. This rich man went into hell, lift up his eyes, being comforted, catered to, waited upon, being in torments, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So the rich man, and Jesus made his grave with whom? The rich and the wicked, right? Okay. This man's soul was where? In Hades. Everybody say Hades. Look in Acts chapter 2. And let's kind of play this out. This is Peter's first message. His first preaching message on the day of Pentecost. Okay. And here's what he says. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up. So what's he talking about right here? The resurrection of Jesus. Having loosed the comforts, the what? Pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaks concerning him, for I saw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because why? Thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades... Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me, this is Peter preaching, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he's both dead and buried. His sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of whom? That his, his what? Was not left where? In Hades. Neither did his flesh see what? Notice the distinction between the two, the soul and the flesh. The flesh, in other words, didn't, didn't decay. And the soul was not forsaken in Hades. This Jesus had God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. Now look at Romans 10 and verse 7, I believe it is. Paul preaching to the church at Rome. Or who shall descend into the what? You know that word deep is the abyss? It is the Greek. Actually, to be honest with you, anywhere else you see that word translated from the Greek into the English, it's abyss. And I'll show it to you in a minute. Who shall descend into the abyss that is to bring up Christ again from the dead? Actually, it's also translated bottomless pit. Look in Revelation chapter 9. 
And he opened the bottomless pit, the abyss. And there arose a smoke out of the pit. As the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came up out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. So when Jesus was raised up from the abyss, the bottomless pit, Hades, it doesn't sound like to me that was a comforting place. It doesn't sound like he was in Abraham's bosom because he could have very easily said he raised them out of Abraham's bosom. What am I saying? You know, when I grew up, I always said the Apostles' Creed. And part of that creed is he descended into hell. And then God raised him from the dead. He didn't descend into Abraham's bosom. He descended into Hades. Now why am I saying this tonight? Because you know what? This represents what he did. And if you think the passion of the Christ. And you see the picture of Jesus just being shredded. And just brutal, brutal, brutally beaten. And, and his flesh just ripped apart. That can even begin to compare. Because Psalm 88 says he was in the lowest pit. The fullness of the wrath of God was heaped upon him. What Adam did in the very beginning. For the substitute Adam to come into the earth and undo. Cost him his fellowship with his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He never called him God he always called him father. But when he became sin for us, he now calls him, my God, my God, as if, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And boom, he's gone. And you got to see this in Acts chapter 13, verse 33. Man, if you get excited at ball games, whew, hold on to your hat. Acts, do we have that there? Is that in my notes? I told you I might not stick to them, but. He'll find it. This is the whole thing. You see, the substitute player came into the game. He's born of a virgin. He learns about himself for 30 years. He gets baptized in water. Comes up out of the water. The Holy Ghost comes upon him. He goes and visits the devil up on the wilderness after a 40-day fast who tries to tempt him like the first Adam in spirit, soul, and body. But Jesus says, get behind me. And guess what? He wins the battle. In the Garden of Gethsemane at the rock when he is crying out, let this cup pass from me. He's sweating as if it were drops of blood. You think it was because he was going to die physically? No. Other men died right by his side, weren't crying, were they? They broke their legs to kill them, didn't they? How many others died? Peter died on the cross upside down because he didn't want to die the way his Lord did, right? Jesus knew he was going to be separated from the Father for a smidge of time. He knew he was going to descend to the bowels of the earth. Psalm 88 says, free among the dead in the lowest pit where the fullness of the wrath of God came upon him. And he heaped upon him the penalty for everybody who has ever lived, who will live or ever will live. It's all on him. And he took the full brunt of it all upon himself. Okay? Because he was, he was sinless. But he did that for you. So sometimes you'll hear, we say a lot of cliches, you know, Christians. He took my place on the cross. No, 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 no. He took your place in hell. 
That's a small thing to do. He took your place suffering in hell for you for a moment of time so you could be eternally free. Man, if that doesn't make you shout, I don't know what's going to make you shout. Do we find that verse yet? Acts 13, 33, 31, 32, 33, Acts 13. I can get my Bible. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus again. And is it also written in the second psalm? Thou art my son. What's he talking about first of all? He raised him. He's talking about the resurrection, right? Notice what he says. He raised up Jesus again. And is it written in the second psalm? Thou art my son. Everybody say this day. day. Say it again. This day. day. What day? Resurrection day. This day have I what? You know what that word begotten means in the Greek? Procreate. It means to procreate, give birth to. There he is in the birth throes of pain, like as a woman when she's about to give birth. Remember when Jesus said when a woman's about to give birth, there's this, all this, you know, all that she goes through and all that. But then for the joy of a child being born, it removes all the pain. Okay, you put that in the back of your mind because of the joy of that baby that's laying on. Jesus was the one in the birth throes. He was the one in the birth pains. He was the one there suffering for you and for me. And all of a sudden, when God was satisfied, the throne was satisfied, when all the, uh, the executives up there in, in glory were satisfied, the, the claims of justice being held against man, God looked over the banisters of heaven and he shouted with a voice. And the Bible says this was the greatest working of God's almighty power. He said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And the glory of the Lord penetrated the very regions of the dam and brought him up out of that awful place and restored him, praise God, to his rightful standing at the right hand of the majesty on high. He had a coronation service there like you've never seen before. And the angels were told, bow down and worship him because he is God. Oh my. He took his blood to the high court of heaven and bought your ransom. So, last part of this verse is this. First of all, his character. Secondly, his sacrifice. And thirdly, his gift to us. Oh, Friday came. But Sunday came also. There can't be a resurrection without a death. Right? So, he made it be sin for us. Who knew no sin. Now why did he do this? So you and I could be made paupers. Second class citizens. Defeated individuals. Walking with our head in the sand. Overcome. By all of our circumstances. So that we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Look in the book of Romans. That we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. For as by one man's disobedience, how many were made sinners? Adam, you blew it, buddy. And everyone born from your loins is a sinner sentenced to a lake of fire. And that holds true today. But... So by the obedience of how many? One. Many 
shall be made righteous. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Raise your hand if you have. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. You've been saved by grace. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. God has imputed the righteousness of Christ into you. When you were born again, you were born out of death into life. And praise God, you can't earn your salvation. You're saved by grace through faith. God doesn't have any other way to save anybody. It's all because of what He did. It's all because of His sacrifice. And because of Him, praise God, we have a living Savior. And we've been redeemed by His blood. And we have an audience with God. Man, I don't know about you. But this is called the great exchange. He became what we were. So that you and I could become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Part of the royal family. And experience the, the presence of God every day of our lives. And stand before the throne of God as if sin never happened. You realize that's how you are right now? Positionally? As if sin never happened in your life because you're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Look at the great exchange. He was condemned so that you and I could be justified. He was made the curse so that you and I could be what? Blessed. He was also made sickness and disease. Why? So that we might be healed. He was rejected. Why? So you and I could be accepted. He died. Why? So that we can live. This is my longing desire. And let me close it. This is my longing desire. You know how we have all this technology today? Are you, are you impressed with technology? Got a flashlight? Yeah, here's my phone. What? You see, it's commonplace for us, right? I've been here for 30, be 38 years in, in um, August. And only one time did our lights go out. If that would happen 30 years ago, we wouldn't be able to see anybody. Everybody got their phones and put on their flashlight. We had a service in flashlight. Right? Yeah. Imagine that. Candlelight, flashlight, service. This is what we had. Think about that. Technology today. But here's my longing desire. I pray... That somehow, some way, that God, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, He's going to show us the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe. Notice He's going to show us. He believes in the show. The theater. Would it not be wonderful if we all kick back on our holy chairs in the holy arena, the holy theater, and he puts up this humongous screen. And on that screen, we watch the life of Christ. Not Hollywood's rendition of it, but God the Father's rendition of it. And we get to actually watch and see when Jesus was born. When Jesus wreaked havoc with the kingdom of darkness. When Jesus became our sin. But then when Jesus was raised up from the dead... And he was triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. And in Revelation 1.18 he says, can you imagine watching him do this? Behold, I am he that liveth and was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I've got the keys of hell and the grave.
the authority. He got back the authority that Adam lost. Oh, hallelujah. This is what we celebrate tonight. His death. And oh, it's incomprehensible to all of us. The death that he died. And so as the first scripture said, when we participate in this Lord's Supper, we are symbolically representing and proclaiming his death till he comes. The emblem of the bread, the emblem of the cup or the juice reminds us of his death, reminds us to live the way he wants us to live and to look for his coming. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It's our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.